0: The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome to episode 276 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Craig Morgan, Nettie Hattie, and Steve Peters.
1: Still working on my Twitter and still working on my intro phrase.
0: I like it. I like it. We, we might get PD on, on Twitter here. It might happen. I know, it's uh, coming soon. We, oh, wow. Look at that. It's breaking news right off the top of the show. It is, it's going to happen. Uh, we got a lot to get to, guys. The Coyotes have 12 games left. I want to remind everybody to rate and review the show on uh, on iTunes. Certainly, you can follow us at the Natty Hattie on Twitter. Um, yeah, I do all those things. It's uh, it's great. It makes the podcast more accessible to other people who haven't heard it yet. And I feel sorry for those people, quite honestly, because they haven't heard this podcast yet. We are going to start uh, with the Coyotes, actually, this week. So I want to make sure we, we get in-depth on, on the Coyotes here with 12 games to go. Five straight losses, but St. Louis only plays Colorado now, so it's it's very much – it's right there. I mean, St. Louis played Colorado last night as we record this. They'll play the Coyotes on Saturday, and then I believe they go Colorado, Colorado, Colorado after that, right? That is
2: correct. Yeah. And then Minnesota, 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 Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> it's, their schedule's nuts. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I know it's disheartening to see the Coyotes lose five straight. I know it's frustrating for fans, and and you got to look at the math. I mean, it's still right where you wanted them to be. That this the second night in, in L.A. hurts them now. That's the one that you look at the schedule and go, gosh, those two points were huge. um But with twelve games to go, they need to win the games they're supposed to win, and maybe maybe get a point or two out of those others against the top three. But even if they don't, we're talking a team that you've got to go eight and four. Okay. That seems like a huge task, but you have to beat San Jose four times LA three times. And the biggest game of the year to this point will be Saturday against St. Louis. You go eight and four, you're setting yourself up nicely. You're put San Jose and LA out automatic. If you win them, if you sweep those series, they're out. Then it's just you and St. Louis. Um, one one side note to St. Louis's future. We talked about them uh, 10 games against the big three. The one thing that's that maybe didn't play in the Coyotes' favor was um, Grubauer going on the COVID-19 protocol and out for the next 14 days. Mm-hmm. They said 14. It's actually 12. But, you know, three of their next four are against the Avalanche, and they'll be seeing either Dubnyk or Johansson. So uh, not ideal for Coyote fans. Um so that, that that changes that the way that series looks.
2: Yeah, yeah. I Go ahead, Luke.
0: Well, I was just going to say, like you said, you're going to have to take care of your own business. Craig, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the goaltending as well. And this, this is going to be a nice glimpse for Colorado as to what life looks like without Philip Krubauer. We all said that they needed to get a goalie. They went out and get got Devin Dubick. I'm not sure that was the answer. We're going to find out. They're going to get a, a real clear picture of their goaltending situation going into the playoffs. But getting back to the L.A. game, When this whole road trip started, I think they wanted nine points out of it. They got six. You think about how huge that game is. If they had managed just to get like a point in Vegas and they hang on in that third period, you look at the situation now. They're in the driver's seat. They're in a great situation. But, again, like like Petey just said, there is still opportunity here. You win that game on Saturday. You have the lead again. And I know they have the two games at hand, but they still have a brutal schedule It feels like the Coyotes still have a very good chance if they can win that game on Saturday. If they lose that, on the other hand, man... I mean, it, you talk about four point swings every time in the division, but that is that is the the biggest of four point swings. Yeah, yeah. and good news for Coyote fans—we're
1: we're 12 games to go in this season, and we're still talking about the playoffs. And I know, you know, it's it's they're teetering on the edge mathematically, but until you know they get that asterisk saying eliminated from the playoffs, there's a chance. And I know from the coaching room and the coaching perspective, they're looking at it until the math says we're out.
0: We still have a chance. And let's not so, forget
2: that the NHL just threw a nine-game road trip at them. A nine-game road 16 trip. 16 out of 20.
0: About. 16 road games I, out of 20.
2: You saw the graphic I put out, right? Like San, Everybody knows San Jose had to start the year on the road because they didn't have an arena to play in. That's the only reason they were on the road for 12 straight games. It wasn't in the plan. So had that not happened, the Coyotes would have had a nine-game road trip, which would be the longest in the NHL. And, oh, by the way, also a seven-game road trip, which made that chart of of the longest road trips this season. Once again, scheduling for the Coyotes is absurd.
0: It, there are times where it feels like they, and I know the schedule makers have a tough job and they have a especially difficult job this year, so I, I don't want to get too heavy on them, but it feels like there are times where they schedule 30 teams and then they're like, we'll fit the Coyotes in around everybody else. <laughs> and and we, you play 16 of 20 on the road, that that can wear on you. I want to I want to talk about the mental aspect of this. PD, you just said it. They're still in this. They're a point out, and St. Louis has a brutal schedule coming up, as we've been saying now for a couple weeks. Um, There's definitely a feeling among some fans that are discouraged and like, well, this season's over. They're out. They're one point out. Now, I get the fans being emotional. They just lost five in a row. But if you're in that locker room or you're a coach, how do you make sure the players don't feel like you're out of it? You win on Saturday, you're in a playoff spot. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be like we said, it's, it's a tightrope. The coaching staff is going to have to watch. I mean, you're going to get these guys now. The biggest thing these guys are getting today is they're getting a day off. They're getting a day of rest emotionally, physically. They needed a break. That was daunting on the road for that long. Um, so that's a huge benefit. And now they know the good thing for the coaching staff and the players is they're playing the blues, the team that's right in front of you, you play them next. So. If you can't get up for that game, as they always say, you can't get up for a game. But that that game defines their season. So coaches will be prepared. Players will be prepared. Expect a good start on the first period for the Coyotes. That should be playoff intensity hockey on Saturday. Um, they know exactly where they stand. Coaches will break this down into smaller segments. You can't look at it as a 12 game picture if that's too broad, it's too big, too much for a player to digest. Plus, if you lose one, you know, the world collapses. So you'll, you'll make it a much smaller, whether it's three or five game segments, um, maybe a seven game segment, break it into two, six game segments. Coaching staff will break it up um, just so emotionally um, and psychologically you can make it into smaller pieces
0: so it's not so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Craig, you had the question in the notes. If the Coyotes get in, would you rather play Colorado or Vegas? For me, I would much, this sounds crazy, but I'd much, much rather play Vegas. But I tell you what, the team I really wouldn't want to play, and it won't be an issue in the first round, is Minnesota. Because for whatever reason, the Coyotes just don't match up well with Minnesota at all. And Colorado and Vegas are much better, in my book, than the Wild. But the Coyotes
2: just cannot figure Minnesota out. I didn't think it, it was even a matter of matching up with Minnesota. They're, I mean, they're there with, with the shot attempts and everything. They just can't score in that building, and I don't know just what don't it finish. is. Twelve periods, three goals at XL Energy Center. That's crazy. I, I thought they played that team competitively. I didn't see any problem with their game. Other, I mean, there were obviously there were mistakes, but, man, for some reason, they just can't finish in that building. I don't get it.
1: Yeah, there's a difference when you see the Coyotes play Vegas and Colorado and and when they play Minnesota. I mean, when Colorado's running on all cylinders, they are arguably, if not number one, at least number two team in the league. I haven't seen Toronto and and Colorado head-to-head, so it's hard to say, but... they're, they're out they're out shot, they're outplayed, and sometimes they hang on, sometimes they don't. When they play Minnesota, it, it, you're right, Craig, it's an even game. I mean, it, it looks like they're competing, they're in it, and then a couple of individual mistakes, and the game gets out of reach quickly. Um, if I, if I had to be in the coaching room to prepare a game plan versus Colorado or Vegas, I'd rather play Vegas. Um, I know Vegas, has, has had some success against the Coyotes lately. But overall, in, in the you look at the, the series between those two teams, at least the Coyotes have been competitive. Yeah. Um, I, I think there it's a matter of of moving pucks quickly to get away from their weight. I think that they're a heavy team in, in Minnesota. They're a heavy team, and I think the Coyotes can get by that with moving the puck quickly and, and playing fast. Um, Colorado, you can't play a fast game against them. Right. They're a four-line a team that can fly. They're
2: a heavy team, too. That's yeah, the thing. they're 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 a complete team. Other than as we talked about, we're we're not sure about the goaltending yet, but they're heavy. They're they're big. They're fast, and they're terrific defensively. That may be the best defensive team in hockey. too, the way they get back.
1: Yeah, and can they catch Colorado? Can Vegas catch them? I, I mean, yeah, I guess. Really- yeah, they're, they're yeah. you know, they're, they're four points back with a game in hand. So the answer is yes. Um, you know, I know if Minnesota had their choice and if they could play Vegas or Colorado, Minnesota's saying the same thing. They want to play Vegas over Colorado. So, um, it's going to be interesting the jockeying for position as this goes on. And, and you may see teams like Colorado, Vegas, and even Minnesota, you know, I don't want to say resting guys and taking them completely out of the lineup, but, you could see, you know, their their minutes changing. You could see guys, you know, rotating four lines and, and not playing heavy minutes with some of your six D. Or if you have some bumps and bruises, giving guys a night off. You know, we talk about St. Louis playing those big three, but are they going to be the big three down the last seven days of the season? I think is yet to be determined.
0: It's funny too, because Vegas can very easily beat Colorado in a seven game series. And yet Colorado is just the scary team. If you, if you have a bad 10 minutes against them, you find yourself down five. And Craig, just to go back to your point real quick, even, you know, even in that last Colorado game, the Coyotes outshot the Avalanche, what, 37 to 20 and still lost 4-2. I don't know what it is. It feels like there's a couple guys on the team right now that are just gripping the stick. And when they get in close, they, they almost expect to miss. And I know you go through those ebbs and flows over the course of the season, unless you're Connor McDavid, but they got to get that fixed PD to your point, maybe just having a day off at home and then a full practice and everything to sort of reset is exactly what this team needs right now.
1: Yeah. And you don't know what bumps and bruises are going on inside that room. And, and guys, they're tired. That's 16 days on the road. I can't remember in my 23 years ever being, other than the bubble, where we were gone for 27 days, I don't recall a 15-day road trip. I remember 13 is the longest over my last five, and that's long. And that's when you can actually get out of the hotel and go to a restaurant or go to a movie and, and break the mental chain. Here, they're stuck in the hotel, so it's even even more difficult. I can't imagine how physically tired they are. When I used to come home from a road trip, Anything longer than seven days, my family knew that first day back I was a zombie. Like I, it was, I wasn't functioning. I couldn't, I couldn't engage. I was in bed or I was foggy that whole day. And it's, it's not just the physical tiredness. It's you're really out of it. Whether it's time zone changes or weather changes, so many things come into play there. So today is vital for those guys. And the good news is they still have a really good solid practice day tomorrow.
0: And it does feel, I mean, along those lines, it is remarkable. I know they had a tough game against Colorado and a tough game against Vegas on that trip. But, man, I mean, you look at what the Coyotes, they played that back-to-back with Vegas and Colorado. It was three games and four nights. All the other stuff with the road trip that you guys are talking about, Ivan Prozotov had to step in and make his NHL debut against Colorado. And the Coyotes have been in most of these games. I mean, it is, it is remarkable. How resilient this team has become over the course of this season. I know they don't have points to show for it in their last five games, but honestly, like three, maybe even four of those, they played well enough to win, maybe in a typical situation if you have to score more.
2: Petey, I got one road trip that I can remind you of, and I don't even remember the season, but it was while Bobby Francis was still the coach. It was it was eight games, 17 days, and I brought the biggest suitcase you've ever seen. Like I'd probably have to pay 150 bucks extra to get it on a flight. And I walked into the Athenium in Detroit. Remember when they used oh, to say yeah Oh, boy. he sees my suitcase, and he just looks at me and says, Holy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you your entire wardrobe? <laughs> what is it? And
1: let the listeners know this, too. Like, when you're traveling, what is it with the media guys that they need more clothes? Todd Walsh, um, Tyson Nash, yourself. That, what the hell do you bring? And I think that – I don't know if it's – we just – on the hockey ops, I just understood what we needed when we needed it. But it always felt like the media guys, what are you gone for a month?
2: So do you guys get your clothes cleaned in the hotel? No, No. but but you plan clothes,
1: but but it depends. Like I guess, you know, you bring, you bring, you don't wear seven suits for seven games. You don't bring seven suits. It's a, it's a three, three suit trip, seven games, three suits. It clearly underwear and undershirts one for each day. I get that. And socks as well. But, yeah, are well, I wear the
2: suits most of the time when you're on the road because media guys like they're not in suits when they're like away from the rink or, you know. Or, yeah, or that's a... the
1: advantage. I guess every game day or practice, they were wearing a suit to the rink. So you're right. That that makes a difference in your in your
2: packing. You're right. You're wearing it's, jeans and casual. It's brutal, it's brutal when you have those long ones. It's impossible to pack. I especially... Hold on. So <laughs> does, does... are... go ahead.
0: Well, I just I got to make sure I have to interject here. Does PD know the story of you showing up to a home game with the wrong pants on? That was like two
2: years ago, wasn't it? No, he doesn't know that. that no. Well, I feel like you should. Like, I know Craig,
1: but I don't watch his wardrobe choices that closely.
2: <laughs> I, what I was going to say about the road trip is the worst ones are when they're long trips and you go from like a cold weather yeah. down to Florida. Like, what do you do? I mean, it the
1: fact that- I, You know, I know we're way off the topic here, but this is one of the things this year that I haven't had to deal with. Like, you know, after 20 years of traveling, what you need to bring on a three, a five, a seven, a 10 day trip. You know, you look at the weather ahead of time. I've got three jackets, a light, a warm and a rainy. You have you wear the exact same stuff. All season long, you wear the same shirts casually. I won't, you know, one pair of jeans. That's my road jeans. Like it it's funny how easily and how quickly I could pack for a, a 10 day trip. Like yeah. seconds. Okay. It's a 10 day trip. I'm going to cold cities. I need this. And boom, you know, which suitcase to grab, which bag to grab. And you're out.
2: So, so getting so, back to my pants story. Um, yeah. You're going to have to finish that. I picked up my suit from the dry cleaners. And I, a lot of times I'll drive to the rink for with whatever's going on. Not, not in my suit. So I'll, I'll dress at the rink. I get to the rink. They had given me my suit coat and somebody else's pants. And the guy's pants that I had, well, let's just say he was a little more ample than I was. <laughs> so you <laughs> said the wrong pants. They weren't even yours. And I have no choice because I, I drove to the rink in little like wind pants, like sweatpants. So I can't wear those into the rink. So, okay, what do I do here? I put on these pants <laughs> that are like... Like a forty waist. That's yeah, classic. let me be clear here, PD. I, I did not see like Craig. the thing, and I'm hiding it with my coat. <laughs> I interviewed a couple people, and and of course, somebody noticed. I'm not. gonna I'm not even going to call them out, cause, but they're like, "What's with those pants?" Like, <laughs> wow. I'm look what I'm here. I thought you meant yeah. mismatching, like blue no, and black no, no, no. or something. No, yeah, I, I really got to defend myself here. It wasn't me, like- but.
0: It's not like I saw Craig and I was like, you know, Craig, that uh, that jacket doesn't match the pants perfectly. Yeah. No, no, no. He was wearing okay. MC Hammer's pants. And yeah, okay. that's what
2: it looked like, like balloon pants or Charlie Chaplin or something. It was crazy. Oh, sorry, I missed it. Yeah. Well, he'll do it again. Um,
1: sorry, I got us off the topic here. I didn't even know what the topic was.
0: I, I, we didn't have one. Uh, the goaltending situation for this team, Antti Ranta comes back uh, for the last game of the road trip. I mean, they lean so heavily on Aiden Hill, and they're still going to have to. Uh, we don't know about Darcy Kemper now. Ivan Krosvatov made his first ever NHL start, like I said, in the second half of back-to-back against Colorado of all teams. How are you handling this going forward? Is it is it just ride the hot hand? You've only got 12 games left. And also, how do you find the hot hand right now? I thought Aiden Hill was actually playing pretty good. Yeah,
2: take us inside the coach's room on this one, Petey.
1: This is interesting, and I, I've talked to someone uh, outside the organization earlier today about this. When, you know, By now, you were hoping Darcy Kemper was back, and he was getting himself up for that playoff run. That isn't the case. Um, Anti Ranta, In Minnesota, uh, I thought he looked like it was his first game after being off for 21 days. I mean, to be honest, when they're both playing their best, Antti Ranta has a bigger body of work. His numbers are better. He's the guy. They don't have time to ramp him up. So, what happens on Saturday? You know, who's the hotter goalie right now today? Gosh, from the games I've seen, I, I think Aiden Hill has been better. Do you feel that you can ride Aiden Hill over these next 12 and make the playoffs? <sighs> what I think's going on in the coaches' room, their thought process, and again, I'm not there, so I don't know, is they want to get Auntie Ranta up and running. Now, do you have time to get that to occur? So, what I think will happen... I think against St. Louis Blues on Saturday, barring another injury during practice, I think you will see Antti Ranta on Saturday mm-hmm. in the hopes that you are building him up in his game readiness, and he is there for these last 12 games ready to get them into the playoffs. Now, if I am outside the box going, okay, I need to win Saturday one game, I don't know if I don't play Aiden Hill. Yeah. Because I think he's playing better right now. So when you look at the bigger picture, gosh, I th- I'm expecting him to play anti-Ranta. That's who I expect. Um Because they need to get him up and running to make the playoffs. Um One game off, I'd play Hill. I know I'm, I'm walking the fence, but if yeah. it were me picking the goaltender for Saturday, I'd take Aiden Hill, but you need anti-running.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're a goalie, too, so you understand this perspective. But how – and we've heard Rick say this already, but how much – Will he lean on Corey Schwab when making the decision? Corey Schwab's going to come to the meeting with
1: what goalie he thinks should play. Um, Rick Tockett has the hammer. He's the one that makes the decision. He'll say, you know, he'll he'll have Corey Schwab plead his case, meaning here's why. Um, most often, he defers to the goalie coach. That's Corey Schwab's job. It's his experience. He's played goal in this league. He understands the position. Most often, Rick Tockett will defer to Corey Schwab in that decision. Not always. There are times you know, over the last several years where Coach Talk will say, I'm going with my gut on this one, and my gut says this. Um, in this situation, because it's a 12-game set, he's going to defer heavily to Corey Schwab.
0: It is interesting because, you know, on the one hand, in the past, we have seen on Toronto, like, if you could guarantee he's going to be good to go for all 12 of these games or whatever, 10 or 11, they have two back-to-backs in there. He is capable of, of carrying this team on a run. But the thing is, to your point, PD, you got to win this game on Saturday specifically. And I think for Saturday specifically, I'm kind of with you and that Aiden Hill is, I at least know is, is a hundred percent ready for that game. So it is, like you said, it's a very fine line to walk. Um, Greg, you have this in the notes. Oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah. I just want to play this out a little farther than this season too. I mean, I think we're all in agreement that Auntie Ronto won't be back next season, but. If, if you do go with Aiden Hill and he's, he is able to carry, your, carry you into a playoff spot, what do you do with the goaltending situation moving forward? I think there had been the assumption at the start of the season that Aiden Hill would be the guy they expose in the expansion draft. You can only protect one goalie. You got Darcy Kemper under contract for a year. What do you do in the summer if Aiden Hill steps forward and leads you to a playoff spot?
1: Well, um, you, you look at the rules, and I spent some time. I'm not Going to say, I've I've had the chance to dive deep into the expansion draft on what other teams are going to have to expose, and the Coyotes have to expose a goalie, and you can only protect one. I protect Darcy Kemper still. Um, you have to give Aiden Hill qualifying offer to have him eligible to be that goalie that fills that slot, which I think the Coyotes will do. Yeah. My gut feeling, Craig, is when I look around the NHL right now. There are other number two and number three goalies around the league that are probably higher on Seattle's depth chart than Aiden Hill. Um, when you're a Coyote fan, you look at Aiden Hill has he's done a, a fantastic job in keeping this team relevant, um, through this stretch. But around the league, there are teams that have, you know, a 1B or, or a 1C as their backup. And I just don't think Aiden Hill has creeped high enough on Seattle's depth chart to get taken as a goalie.
0: That's the other fair. thing you, you have to remember too, and I don't know how this is going to play out in Seattle, but I feel like there's probably pressure on that team after what Vegas did in their first year. Because, sort of to PD's point, like I I could look and I could say if I'm if I'm building an expansion team for the future, I'd love to have Aiden Hill as my number two goalie in Seattle for sure. But if I'm coming in with the pressure of yeah, look what Vegas just did a couple of years ago—they went to the Stanley Cup their first year. I'm probably looking at teams where I've got a guy that's you know, 28, 29 years old and has been in this league for a while as my number one and my number two because you need two goalies now in the NHL that can play a good chunk of the season. Um, up front, Craig, you have this in the notes, and it is worth talking about. We haven't got PD's take on this before. Clayton Keller, one goal in his last nine, two in his last 13. Uh They play St. Louis on Saturday, so I expect a good game from Clayton Keller. He's always dialed in against St. Louis. Petey, how much of this would you be concerned about if you're the Coyotes? Not so much because he's a bad player or anything like that, but because of how committed you are to him for the better part of the next decade at over 7 million a year. And how much of this is him still finding his way in this league, or are certain teams a bad matchup to play to Keller?
1: You know, it's, it's Luke, it's all the above, and uh, You've seen Keller score in bunches. He's still offensively gifted, talented. He, he can one of the few players on this roster that can beat a goalie clean from the top of the circle, you know, along with Kessel and Chikrin. Um so the offensive upside is still there. He just needs to find that consistency. And for him, it's about committing to go to the areas that are difficult to go to. When he's scoring, he's finding himself in front of the net, between the hash marks or around the goal. Um, for rebounds and, and those kind of goals. Um, when he's not scoring, you see the puck going one way in the offensive zone and him drifting the other way. He's almost in the far corner when the puck's at the other point. Um, it's, it's his ability has to improve on finding the areas to score from. And, and you keep thinking it's going to happen. I mean, this is the fifth year you really needed him to be an offensive leader this year. You needed it because you're not finding the goals. And, um, the bigger issue comes in when you start comparing that offensive output with his contract. And then it, it, it makes that offensive output even more of, a, of an issue. Um, he's going to have to start scoring in these last 12 games to make the playoffs. And it's not just Keller. Garland has two and 20, Schmaltz two and 10, Dvorak one and 10, Kessel two and nine after his hat trick in, in, in San Jose. Their top goal scorers offensively need to start scoring. Um we have said that since opening night. Um Keller, you've got him. You're not gonna be able to trade him in the off season. He's a coyote. He's gonna be a part of what they're doing. I, I know he's gonna say, look who I'm playing with right now. Um, you know, he's in, in Minnesota, he's with Broussard and Fisher, and he's he Peterson and Fisher in Colorado. He's gonna look to his line mates and go, What am I doing? Coaching staff's gonna say, Well, you're not playing the minutes because you're not producing. So when you start producing, you can move up in the depth chart. So catch 22 for him there. He has to compete to get to the difficult areas. And the good news, like you said, Luke, St. Louis is a team he has always played well against, and he's been able to put points on the board. Um, So if there's an opportunity for him to get out of that slump, it's going to be this Saturday.
2: I want to add something to that with the idea that, Clayton Keller, there's no doubt that Clayton Keller's contract will be difficult to move if they they go down that road, and I'm not saying they will. But Bill Armstrong has made it clear to me on multiple occasions that this entire season is serving as an evaluation. And in particular, he's looking at those fourth and fifth year guys, the core, the guys that he wants to see lead this team. What can they do? Well, Keller was was on a nice run there for a while, and Armstrong was complimentary of him a couple weeks ago. He had two points on this road trip. He was a minus nine. His play away from the puck, as you just discussed, wasn't where it needed to be. Again, this is all part of the evaluation. Right now, taking into account the fact that his contract would be hard to move, I would not say at this point that he is a cemented piece of the core. I don't think he has put himself in that position, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they would consider a bigger deal to move that contract if he keeps trending in this direction.
1: I think that's a fair piece, and, and the biggest part of that, Craig, is, is the money. I mean, if you can create, um, you know, free up that kind of cap space, you'd have to look at it for what his offensive output has provided. And as we talked about the expansion draft with goaltenders, you're limited to seven forwards you can protect. So, you know, if, is Keller automatically in that seven, or do you expose them and protect uh, a bunting? Instead, yeah. I, first you have to sign Bunting, but but you know is is Keller a legitimate threat to be picked up by the Seattle Kraken, or do you leave him off that protected list, knowing a lower lower end lower paid forward um, like Bunting can be protected? I think that'll be interesting to see as well.
0: Sure will. Uh, one last thing here on the Coyotes, Craig. You mentioned this. I think it's certainly worth taking a look at here as we head towards the end of the regular season, at least, and, and looking forward. Barrett Hayton, Victor Soderstrom, Jan Yenique, or however however Craig pronounces his name. I can tell you. I'm, I'm gonna... As he Yenique. told me. Okay. All right.
2: um, what's the plan for those guys now, big picture? To me, I mean, uh, they haven't stated it outright, but my sense is that they're going to stay down there, and I think that's the right decision. Don't mess around with these guys. Just let them stay on the path they're on. Tucson's games are already limited this season, and Bill even told me right up to the deadline that. Quite frankly, there aren't enough games. He wishes they could play more games, have more development time. So I, I think they're going to leave those three guys down there. I got to be honest, with with all the players that we've seen rushed through the system in this organization in the past, I wouldn't be surprised if they left those guys down there for another season to bake next year. And I, I don't think that's a bad decision. These guys need to develop away from the pressure. They need to play heavy minutes, all situations, all the things that we talk about They haven't exactly lit it up down there, but they're working on other parts of their game. I think they need more time. That's my take.
1: Yeah. One of the problems has always been that you needed to put those guys in the lineup here because they were lining up holes. And that's been that way 15 years now. I mean, you can go back to the Bodker tourist Tikhanov um, three guys that came in too early. And again, it's because they needed to, because there were holes that needed filled. Um, you'd like to see these guys develop in the American league. And unfortunately this year, the American league is not what it it usually is because of the taxi squads around the league. Yeah. So you've got the players that should be in the American league playing games are practicing every day with the national league clubs. So the com- competition is down the playoffs. you know, there's teams that, that didn't feel the roster this year. Um, there's no travel to Canada. The, the American league is a much different League this year than it normally is, um, so I think next year you, when you get hopefully back to a normal American League season, that gives all three of these players an opportunity to play with better competition, be key players, and play a more regular schedule of games as well. And right now they're playing three or four teams for the entire year.
2: Yeah, that's what. Uh, it's an important point. P. I'm glad you added that because I would throw. Ivan Prozvatov into that group as well. He's another top prospect that needs to play more down in Tucson, but he's been shuttling back and forth because of their goaltending situation.
1: Yeah, so I, I think, you know, if they have the luxury to do that, again, Barrett Hayden's the only one that I could see in in pencil getting in over the summer into their top four lines as they start to, to, to chart out what their plan is for next training camp. Um, is that what's best for Barrett Hayden? I don't know. Uh, I, I still think he needs to excel at the american league play play power play, put up points. Um, I think that would be great for his development right now, um, but you don 't know what they 're going to be able to get in the off season as far as free agents and and uh, trades and so forth to fill that top twelve forward so he might again just sheer numbers be thrown back into the national hockey league
2: i just when I look at this situation and I get you want to feel the competitive team, but man I... In the long run, to me, it makes more sense to leave them down there. And then when you look at their cap situation, I know they won't be able to spend to the cap, but they have a projected $32 million in cap space. I believe that is the third most of any NHL team at this point. So, I mean, they'd have the wherewithal to sign some guys. It wouldn't be a great roster. It might be a, like, 2014-15 experience, which was not pretty for anyone involved. But in the long run, I still feel like it's better to make sure that those guys, as you said, have a chance to excel at the American league level. All
0: right, let's go around the NHL a little bit here and uh, the trade deadline passed. The coyotes didn't make any moves, which i I applaud honestly. I didn't want to give up the guys that they had to give up, especially not just for the sake of doing it. And then, as we said last week, you can't really be a buyer in the situation that the team is in right now with you know cap constraints and you know just the positioning you're in. I thought they did the right thing. but outside of the uh, the coyotes, Taylor Hall goes to Boston. Man, it didn't take anything. It didn't cost. What is a second round pick? I mean that. I mean he he worked that too, right? With his no move, yeah. He did. Yeah, he did. Um, I know that there. He's only played one game. He's on that line with was it Craig Smith and David Krejci? Yes. Um, I think this is going to be a good fit. I know Taylor Hall's numbers this year are bad. Everybody's numbers in Buffalo are bad. Jack Eichel's season's over with two goals. I mean, that what more do you need to say? Uh, I'm interested to see what Taylor Hall does on a team where he doesn't have to be the guy, which it sounds like he doesn't want to have to be the guy. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's going to score eight goals down the stretch. I think, I think Boston made out really well here, and I think they're more of a contender now than they were a week ago.
1: Petey? Yeah, I, we've said this about Taylor Hall on, on this show before. It's all about a fit with Taylor Hall. There's no question in his skill level. Um, it's how does he fit within a, a, a team's structure in that team's locker room. This is a different scenario for Taylor Hall. It's something he hasn't been in really in his career where he's not the guy. You know, he is, he's right now well, penciled in on the second line in Boston, which he's clearly a first-line player everywhere else he's been. He's been the guy. Maybe that is a good fit for him. I mean, that's what he said publicly in the media. He just wants to be one of the guys. I will say this Taylor Hall likes being the guy. So for him not to be the guy, we'll see how he performs under that scenario. He's never done it before. This makes Boston an immediate threat. Um they're deeper, they have they can spread out their scoring. Um if and as a big if if Taylor Hall can get up and run it because he sure as heck hasn't in Buffalo this season.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things that I saw, you know, I was reading a, a bit on the Boston sites that they're actually even considering dropping him to the third line with Charlie Coyle. Talk about taking pressure off of a guy. If you put him in that situation, not only does it take pressure off of him, it probably gives him more favorable matchups as well. So it'll it'll be interesting. I've always felt like he needed to be on a team. And like you said, PD likes being the guy, but imagine putting him on a team where he doesn't need to be and he has great leadership like yeah. Boston has, even though. Chara's gone. They still got Patrice Bergeron. They've got some big names there to to handle the room. So yeah, could, and that's
1: what you need. You need that veteran leadership to to be. And and not that again. Taylor Hall's not a bad guy. He's no. just a personality. He's you know he he just by nature. Pulls people to him. People gravitate to him. So I, I think having those other big personalities in the room—Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak—guys that have been there, guys that have that have you know performed well and done well offensively—I think that takes a lot of pressure off Taylor Hall. There are still going to be a, a lot of expectations for him, um, but they're pretty well locked into a playoff spot now. Um, it looks like they're going to play Washington in the first round. Um, that's going to be one heck of a series. Um, the Washington Boston series. I think Boston improved greatly at the trade deadline.
0: Even beyond just Taylor Hall, I mean, is it is it realistic to trade for a guy and expect him to come in and be a leader midseason? Or this isn't midseason now, this is towards the end of the season. And I, and I guess if you want for a modern example, I mean, Toronto trades for Nick Felino. They're not expecting him to come in and lead that team. But part of Nick Felino's appeal is the fact that he is such a good leader. Like, Petey, what kind of impact can you have coming in? with three weeks left in the season in that regard.
1: I think it's huge. And I think it's it. it Toronto, again, Toronto had to give up more than Boston did to get a player like Felino. But he's going to bring, a, again, a veteran presence to a room that already has a good veteran presence. Toronto's team is built with young speed and skill, but they have that veteran leadership that help keeps the room even keel they've got guys that have been in the finals before that if guys that have been in the playoffs before that really helps and I tell you what the character of a Nick Felino, a guy that plays practices and prepares the right way that's huge for a team that's getting ready for a playoff run, and it helps keep it more even keel in a longer series or a drawn-out difficult series. I think that signing is huge for Toronto. I know Toronto fans are a little upset with what they had to part with, um, but I think that's a really big move for a team that's, that's trying to win the North. When you look at Edmonton, who st- stood pat during that time frame, and their fans are going, "Hey, wait a minute! Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we we're going to make a run for this." Um, so I think you have to give Toronto the leg up now in the North Division.
2: Yeah, I, I liked a few other things. I love what the Islanders did. I thought that was a good move. I mean, you, you lose Endersley, obviously, but you, you get Kyle Palmieri and Travis DeJacky, and I, I like those moves for them. I, they're they're a really interesting team. <laughs> They've confounded my predictions for years. Um, Washington. I'm curious what you guys thought of this one. Uh, getting Anthony Mantha, I, I was surprised that he moved. Actually, I thought he was going to be a part of Detroit's core. And his age, with what they were saying, not being part of our future core, didn't really sink with me. But he, he's an interesting one. And, and Washington, Washington feels like it's back in the mix as a legitimate cup contender now. Yeah. You know I hate it Greg. You know I hate that move cuz I but he's it's it's like like too and that's that's another interesting move to me.
0: Uh, yeah, but I I'm I'm with you. I don't understand how Washington was able to get Anthony Mantha who, you know, I think his what is he's he's right around a goal every 3 games in his career and that's with Detroit and a lot of ups and downs like the the next full 82-game season we play whenever that is, I think he's a 30 to like 33, 34 goal guy in Washington. So it's a great move for them. And they gave up, uh, you know, some pieces to get them. But man, that's, that is a brilliant move, I think.
1: Yeah. When you look at what, what Boston had to give up to get Taylor Hall versus what D- Detroit gained from getting moving Anthony Mantha. I mean, you get, you get two players and two picks for Anthony Mantha. I mean, for Detroit, I know what I really like Anthony Mantha. I think he's strong. I think he gets to the net. I think he can score. I like his game. I think he's a, a strong offensive player, and it's a great move for Washington. Detroit's not going to win this year. They're not going to win next year. So they picked up Vrana, who I think is a, right. you know, it's a nice piece. But you got a first round pick and a second round pick over the next two years, and and you know, former Coyote Richard Panics the throw in who in the short term Panics an NHL player. I mean, what's that?
2: Niki Panik, as we call him on
1: the show. you can kind of in French. Um, but he, he's still an NHL player. Um, th- the problem with Detroit is they're just not ready to win right now. No. So I, I like the move there. Although when you're not ready to win, I, I like keep young pieces. We talked about the Coyotes keeping Garland, similar to Detroit keeping Mantha. So I am somewhat surprised they gave it up, but they did get enough in return to make it worth their while.
2: Yeah, and for Washington, it's all about the closing cup window. I get it for them as well. So this this could be a trade that benefits both teams, one in the short term, one in the long term. Uh, Craig, you mentioned at it, Pittsburgh, Jeff
0: Carter. I don't know what he's going to do for Pittsburgh. I will find out. I mean, he's going to play on that second line until Malcolm gets back, it sounds like. But the bigger thing is he's not going to play the Coyotes these final few games, which is great for the Coyotes because it seems like Jeff Carter is always a thorn in their side. yes, yes, yes indeed.
2: That could help and, them. We talked about uh, Colorado uh, not having their goaltender. Jeff Carter not being in L.A. is an advantage. For the yeah, it is. And, <laughs> and you
1: know what? That's a good signing by Pittsburgh, a sneaky good signing. Like I'm, a, I'm a Jeff Carter fan. I think he brought a lot to L.A. to help them win those two cups. But even now, he's still an offensive threat. Uh, he tips pucks from the high slot as well as any player in the National League right now. Like When you put in between the hash marks and there's a little floater coming from the defense at the net, Carter always seemed to get a stick on it. Um, I think it's a good signing for Pittsburgh for what they're trying to do. Again, it's a team that's window is closing. They need to win now. Um, and, and then it fills the need for them in the short term with injuries. And long-term, it's a veteran guy that can play in the middle of the ice.
0: That that 70s line, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but that Tanner Pearson, Tyler Capoli, Jeff Carter – if you had told me back in 2012 and 2014 that Carter would be the last guy still in LA prior to this trade, I would have been like, You're crazy. And all I mean, I guess Pearson's kind of dropped off, but foley has been huge in Montreal and, and Carter's obviously had an outstanding career. Agreed. Um Vancouver. Ugh. Nineteen games in 31 days. I read the Thomas Grants piece, Craig, that you were talking about on the athletic. I, I already didn't understand why they're making them do this. And I read that piece, and I'm even more skeptical as to why they're making them do this i mean there's a billion different ways to look at this but at the end of the day and and Dran's put this in his piece first round of the playoffs you've got boston washington or you can watch vancouver and ottawa play a game for draft position next year
2: which if it's for draft position do either of those teams even want to win right right yeah that's the yeah he talked about how you know the not what being able to watch the playoffs in uh in uh British Columbia, because you've got this garbage game on for the Canucks. There's so many facets to this story. Um, and, and as Drentz tweeted, a, a bunch of people have tweeted, the, the NHL is there, the PA is there today. They're going to be, be doing a medical evaluations, and we could see a further delay of the schedule, which is just insane to me. There A couple things that jump out to me. How did the PA sign off on this, first of all? They haven't said anything publicly other than a – a watered-down statement. That's that's all that's been released. How does the PA sign off on something like this? This is not protecting your players. This is exactly where a union needs to step in, and I'm dumbfounded that they said yes to this. But then when you think about the ramifications of this on the playoffs, you're extending the North Division season while the other teams are ending at the normal time. They're going to start their playoffs. And you're going to condense everything for the North Division. How does this impact the team that actually comes out? Like, if Toronto comes out having played just a grueling playoff schedule, do they even have a chance of winning the next round because they're so beat up and so tired?
1: Yeah, I think this all falls, Craig. I think it all falls on the PA. I, I really do. I, I know, you know, and I, I'm i not sure. It, has it been made public how the results of that call went last night
2: with the PA? No, no just we got a watered-down statement from John, Jonathan Weatherden, who's a great guy, by the way, the PA spokesperson. I've dealt with him many times, but I just i don't understand how – and, and maybe maybe more will come to, from today, as they you know, because you, you you heard some of the players talking with the Canucks saying, "What a you know, some of them haven't recovered yet. They're clearly not in shape. Okay, now I got to go out and chase Connor McDavid. Uh, I'm not ready for that. I'm simply not ready for it."
1: Well, I think you're putting players in danger of yeah. injury. Um, you're playing back-to-back games against and Toronto after one day of practice in nearly a month. I mean, it's not a month, but it's a long time they haven't skated. I I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I'm not sure what all the financial ramifications are for TV contracts, corporate sponsorship contracts. I don't know, but I know asking this team to play 19 games to finish their schedule
2: doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that to too, right? You brought it up. That's what that's what's driving it. Me. It has it's to be funny. what it is. Yeah. yeah. And look, oh, for I, sure. I don't,
0: I understand, I mean, with everything that's going on in the last year and a half, I get that you need to, you need to get revenue where you can. And that's why when they were putting stickers on the helmets, I was like, look, I don't love this, but the league's got to make up some money. I completely understand that. But this one just doesn't make any sense. It's going to be 19 games in 31 days. As we're saying, I mean, Health, we haven't even really talked that much about the health. Petey just kind of brought it up like this is not, it's not good safety-wise. That's the most important thing. But when you look at it from the hockey perspective, you're going to play 19 games in 31 days, and it doesn't matter. Vancouver's not making the playoffs. And, Craig, to your point, yeah, it's either going to screw over the team that comes out of the North or that team is going to be on a roll and they're going to beat some team that had to sit for a week and a half, and then it, it's, they're going to open themselves to criticism that way. Either way, you're messing with the playoffs for no reason.
1: Yeah, I I don't see there being a good answer here other than, sure, get them back playing again. I I don't have a problem with them playing again. I don't say cancel their entire season right now. But to have them expected to play 19 games I don't think is fair. I don't think it's safe
2: or reasonable. Shorten the season a little bit. Shorten
1: the season and go by winning percentage in the North. The four teams that are in are in already. We know who they are. They're just jockeying for position. Everybody will agree to it. It'll be a little unfair for teams that won't have equal number against every team. I understand that. But I guarantee all of the North teams would buy into this if you just shorten Vancouver's season and went from a winning percentage to get into the playoffs. Um, for the North Division, I think that makes the most sense again. I have nothing to do with the television contract television television contracts or corporate sponsorships or other financial deals that are out there. I just think you're going to end up by the end of this with an American League team playing the Toronto Maple Leafs in the last week of the season. That's what you're going to end up with No.
0: Yeah. Uh, over in the Central Division, I don't know how closely people are paying attention to this race, but there's a three-way tie for first place with Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida, which is it's impressive work by Carolina and Florida. But that fourth-place team is Nashville, a team I did not think was making the playoffs this year. And Craig has this in his notes. No Ben Bishop now, it sounds like, for the rest of the way. And he hasn't played yet anyway. Uh, no Radulov done for the year. Craig, you think Dallas is done? I, I don't think Dallas is done. I think they still can get that fourth spot.
2: They still can. They got to catch Nashville now. That's it, it's going to be tough. But that that's yeah. I don't think the Blackhawks are a, a genuine contender for that spot. It's Dallas has to go on a run. They do have some games in hand still, so they can do it. But they didn't fare that well against Nashville. Um, no, those were important games. So it, it's it's going to be tough for them with with those two pieces. As you mentioned, one of them has been out all year. But it, it's it's not easy for Dallas at this point.
1: Dallas has dealt with injuries all season. Even Radulov, they've dealt with him in and out of the lineup. Sagan in and out of the lineup all season. Nothing new for them. The biggest problem I think Dallas faces is what we're seeing in Vancouver at the end of the season is what Dallas dealt with at the beginning of the season. And when you talk about players' health and getting them up and running, they had COVID to start the season, shut down, and had a had to start with guys that were still with symptoms, still sick, or or what have you, that aren't up to their top. Uh, ability. And I think that hurt them to start. Now, I'm going to disagree with Craig a little bit looking at their schedules, which I, I looked at this morning. You know what? It's going to be a big hill. They got Kadoben and Ottinger are going to have to carry the load in net, but they have for the entire season anyway. The difference to me is they both have six games against the big three. And, you know, each division has the big three now. Dallas and Nashville both have six games. The difference is against the bottom 2, Columbus and Detroit. Um Dallas has 6 games against the bottom 2. Where Nashville only has 2 and none against Detroit, which is a, a depleted team now without without Mantha. So I, if they win those 14 four extra games against the bottom 2 teams, that more than makes up for the difference between um, the gap between them and Nashville. I think this is going to go down to the wire, and I think it's closer um, that, than than people may think. I think Chicago's out, but I think Dallas and Nashville come down to the last week.
2: Boy, and if Dallas gets in you know, on on a run, which they'll have to be, they're a really interesting team to watch in the first round of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, they're going to be dangerous.
2: Yeah, I mean, any of those teams don't want to play them, but like, if you're Carolina or Florida and you're like, great, we get in and we we play the team that went to the cup final.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think the matchup for them is is Carolina as I look at the teams that if if, if Rick Bonus is sitting there picking hmm who would I like to play, I, I would pull Carolina out of the hat. I wouldn't want to go into the first round of the playoffs playing Tampa.
0: Yeah, you don't often have the Stanley Cup final rematch in the first round the next year. That has to be back to like the original <laughs> fair, six. Right? Fair point. What do you think? um Dallas is an interesting team too I mean you' talking about the expansion draft because Bishop Ottinger and Cadovan are all signed well past next year so I mean if I'm Seattle that's that's one of the first teams I'm looking for a possible goalie
1: and again that 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 brings greens to the point that I really don't think that the coyotes are going to get a goalie plucked because of situations just like that and in Toronto where you see multiple goalies
2: Peters yeah. given hope to Coyotes
0: nation there you go. Uh, This is a question that has no real answer, but uh, what do you do if you're Buffalo at this point? I mean, this (laughs) season was a complete wasteland, and there's not really any sign this is getting better. They still have less wins this year than the Buffalo Bills had.
2: You could take this as a rhetorical question. (laughs) What's the sound of one hand clapping?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, you know what, first off, you need to... To retool your staff, and I, I'll start right with the front office. You know they hired Jason Carmonas, has won three cups under Rutherford in Carolina and Pittsburgh. I think that's a great move. Kevin Adams, former Coyote, as the general manager, inexperienced, still finding his way, still learning his way around the league. I think having um, Jason Carmonas on his right hand side, I think is a great move. They're short on scouts right now. They need to staff up their scouting staff, their hockey department first, then it's the coaching staff and I, I i think i would be very surprised if granado gets extended into the future i would expect them to make a change um at the at the head coaching position in buffalo then once you have all of those pieces now let's build a team so i, I think those other things need to happen first they've got an owner that's willing to spend money Yes, possibly a very hands-on owner that brings different issues, but he is willing to spend money. So once you get the building blocks in place, okay, let's start
2: building a team now. Would you trade Jack Eichel? I would. Yeah, I would too. He's going to be 25, and not that's not old, but when you start thinking, uh, okay, what does the future look like for Buffalo? Well... Well, he can't be happy there either. I mean, at a certain point. Clearly not happy. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: it's a reset for both. It's a reset for, you know, they've, they've married themselves to him since he was drafted, um, put expectations on him that maybe he wasn't ready for at, at his age. Um, Jack Eichel is a very, very talented hockey player. I think he will have a resurgence with another team. And in Buffalo's uh, side of the coin, that you know, you can get draft picks, you can get guys that can play right now, and, you know, clearly slates start over
0: um the Kraken not uh it's gonna be a while it sounds like before they have their head coach and it makes I think that makes sense to all of us uh but what's the thinking here I mean you don't you don't want to tie yourself to somebody when the playoffs haven't even started yet you want to leave your options open as best you can there is a point in the offseason where you don't want to be hiring your coach three days before training camp or whatever but they've still got time there's no point to rush this
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's just you're widening your pool of candidates by waiting until the playoffs are over. Of course, you're going to have some competition. We know how we know how the NHL is. There will be a, mul- a number of coaching changes. There always are. But then there will be teams looking for coaches, so you have to make sure that you're near the front of the line. So yeah. some of it's timing. Some of it's the, the unique opportunity that Seattle has to offer. But I, I do understand widening your pool of candidates. I do to
1: a certain extent. But when was Gerard Gallant hired in Vegas? Was it January? Okay. On the year of their expansion draft, it was earlier. And what this tells me, and I, again, I don't know Ron Francis. I've never talked to Ron Francis. This tells me he is not thrilled with the pool of candidates that are available right now. And that's, you know, you see Gerard Gallant, Bruce Boudreau, Todd Nelson, Dan Bilesman, Mike Yo, Dave Haxtall some of the names I've heard. I don't think he's thrilled with the pool of former head coaches that are available. Otherwise, I believe he would have signed that coach, and you can use that coach's brain and thought process and system play when you start looking at the expansion draft. Because I we talked about the expansion draft for five minutes. That's all Seattle's talked about for six months. So they've got their boards, they've got their lists. Wouldn't you want to build a team around – the style of the coach that you're going to hire. So that tells me that he's looking for somebody and potentially has his eye on somebody right now that's in the league that may be available. So again, devil's advocate. Since we're a podcast, we need to talk about things. Who's that? Well, Rob Brindamore. Great relationship through Carolina. They've known each other for years. They've worked together for years. Brindamore's contract's up at the end of the year. I know they've had a lot of success in Carolina, but don't rule it out. I mean, it's 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 something coaches and managers gravitate to each other if they've worked together that brings in Paul Maurice another guy if Winnipeg doesn't make the playoffs this year or not if they don't succeed in the playoffs this year is he done in Winnipeg um Rick Tockett Rick Tockett's been with Ron Francis you know with Hockey Canada with Pittsburgh they have a relationship um don't rule that conversation starting as this, you know, if the longer talk, it doesn't sign here, the more you may hear his name associated with Seattle as well. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. I, I am somewhat surprised they haven't filled it yet.
0: There's some good names too. I mean, <laughs> if you can come in as an expansion team and get one of those guys, that's, that's a pretty good way to start. It's interesting um, that
2: Gerard Gallant is, you know, he, he's been through the experience. So, if, if they haven't jumped at him, it, it sort of tells you, okay, he's probably not a candidate at this point for that job. He because- probably exactly. doesn't want to do it again,
0: right? I mean, I, I, I look, if that's the only option he has, there's certainly some appeal to it. But look at what he just did with Vegas, and he set the bar so high his first year that he was out a couple years later. Like, he probably just wants a regular job in the league somewhere.
1: Um, I don't know. If Gerard Gallant was the guy, he'd be hired by now.
0: Yeah, I, yeah that, that feels like that's just logically makes sense. Uh, we got some other topics, but I'm going to push these back because they're a little bit evergreen, and I want to get to these questions. And I'm going to start with Kenny's question because he asked it last week, and it is, I thought we got to every question last week, and we missed this one. So I emailed it to myself to make sure we had it, although I don't know the answer to this. So I'm hoping Craig does. Uh, season ticket holders were sent an email to renew their plans, and if they did, they'd be awarded an unreleased jersey that will be unveiled this summer. Is this a promo jersey or a fixture to our current sets?
2: I don't have the answer to yeah, that. I don't I think <laughs> that's on purpose. I'm pretty sure the Coyotes
0: don't want that out there at this point. Yeah. But now, now we have answered the question without giving an answer because we don't know. We do that a lot. Uh, Elden. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do that frequently here. The only entertainment you're allowed to watch for the rest of your life must come from one franchise, Star Trek or Star Wars. Uh, this is easy for me. I would, oh. I would go Star Wars. I'm, I mean, I'm not like a huge Star Wars guy, but I've never seen any Star Trek. And Star Wars, I've at least seen, I think, all the movies.
1: Petey? not even close star wars I mean, kid graduated like i went to the first one i don't know how many times in the front row in, in my early years and then with my son who was a young young guy when all these star wars cartoons came out it's not even close star star wars all day
2: yeah i'm a star wars guy too although you know i i did like uh the original trek and I, and i did watch jean-luc picard a little bit although the other characters on that show were absurd but the, the original Star Trek with William Shatner, how, how can you not love William Shatner and Captain Kirk? Was, wasn't John
0: luc Picard a goalie for the Columbus Blue Jackets? I'm not thinking of something. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, The Mandalorian, the new Star Wars. Wow. Uh, better than I expected. Much, much better than I expected. Okay. Let's try Chris and Phoenix. I always thought when a period starts with the team on the power play, the opening face-off should be in front of the opposing goalie rather than at center ice. Too many times a power play at start of period goes nowhere because of the
2: original face-off
0: location. Thoughts?
2: I got a lot of thoughts on this. I I like the idea of deferring uh, power plays that come at the end of periods to the start of the next period. Um, I'd like them to add icing. So the penalty killing team can't just dump it out and oh, well we're, we're good. We can ice it, make it icing still. I want right. to give the power play team more, more of an advantage when a team takes a penalty.
1: Well, and, and when you bring the coyotes into that conversation where you almost, I mean, it's, you don't win that opening draw, of the power play anyway, <laughs> you might as well just start on a power play breakout because you're going to lose the draw and you're going back 200 feet to get it. Um, so, uh, to your point, Luke, if you do this, the faceoff in the offensive zone, you're, you've got to go farther to get the puck than you do if you're at the neutral zone. Clearly, the league will never change that. That's a centerized faceoff to start a period. It's never going to change. Um, Craig hold, that holds some merit on the icing. It's been discussed for years. Um, yeah, if you want to give the power play the advantage, Take the icing away. Let, let's give them more of an opportunity. Or if they continue to ice it, I've seen some people say, let's add another penalty. If you ice it consecutively so many times, or on the the second icing or the third icing, you award another minor penalty. Um, None of those things are going to change. The only the only change I saw, remember the year they put the center ice or the, the offensive zone dot in the middle in the American League for a short period of time oh, instead yeah. of the right or a left to get right in front of the net? That'd be interesting too, but none of those things will change.
0: The other one too—that I always laugh when people—and it was typically people that don't follow hockey very much. They're like, "Oh, you got to make the goal bigger to increase scoring." That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because there are these other ways you can increase it. And another one is two-minute power plays. A two-minute power play—you If score three times, so be it. You know, there's, there's, there's—I don't know that I see them doing that either. But that's at least a, a path that's better than putting soccer nets in a hockey rink. Uh, oh, I don't know if I can read this one, Joseph. Um, no, no question, but really enjoying Petey's insight. Stat on negative goal difference was staggering. Uh, look at that! Oh, wow, Petey's already got that. all my homework. Worth it. Appreciate he, that. He, we're gonna know that Petey is is officially he's made it if he can get Gilbert Anthony to to, to right. trade in. Who is Jamie Eisner? I don't even remember that guy. I'm I'm all Petey all
2: the time. That's <laughs> <Albert Anthony is laughs> Jamie Eisner's number one fan. I think that's. What he's gonna trade. <laughs>
0: Uh, Kenny sent the same question. In. I didn't have to waste time emailing it to myself. I appreciate that. Uh, Dangle Snipe Belly. Who wins in a Petey Eisner sewer fight? Well, that's... We already know the answer. Petey's... Petey's I've never
1: seen Jamie. I don't know. I, 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 I'm an angry, wiry guy, though.
0: Yeah, no, you'd win. I mean, Jamie's an angry guy, but you'd win. Um... How is it acceptable that offside reviews are still conducted on those tiny iPads? I know Toronto gives input, seems crazy. Doesn't the NCAA use TVs? Why not the NHL?
1: Uh, it's driven me nuts. As, as the guy that sat inside the the room when these decisions are made, that you're looking at a referee holding an iPad, I don't understand that. You know, I have the luxury of having a 4K large computer monitor that I can zoom in on to get the information I need to help make that call for the head coach. Why is the referee looking at an iPad? I don't get it. I don't know why there isn't a TV in the penalty box, or I don't really don't understand why the call isn't made somewhere else. I have always wondered why the official that made the call, is the one making the makeup call whether that's the referee on a goalie interference or the linesman on an offside i, I you know baseball defers to an umpiring crew uh, located at the major league baseball offices i don't understand why the nhl can't have a crew in the room doing the same thing i i have rarely 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 do you see a goalie interference call overturned because the official that is going to overturn the call is the one that made the call I, I just I don't understand it.
0: Yeah. It's very hard to argue with that. And I feel like Petey has more more of a perspective on that than any of us, although Exactly. That's why I just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It does, though. It looks like they're looking at like a sidekick from 2008 or something when they're trying to determine if, if a goal should count or not.
2: Remember that scene in Pulp Picture? You are aware that there is the, this invention called the television. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's exactly right. And I, I I think for more consistency, and we said this at the NHL meetings a year ago, for more consistency on that call, send the call to Toronto. Because what we saw, I would, and this influenced some of the calls that I, that I made as a goalie interference call. I would see a call in another city on either that day or the day prior go a particular way. And I said, well, that's the exact same play I'm looking at tonight in our game. I'm going to make the call based on what I saw as an outcome yesterday. Well, those two outcomes would be different because of the consistency of the people making the call. So I still believe that call should be made at a central location. It the NHL offices so it can be more consistent among all levels. Having said that, the number of um, calls made and challenges made this year is way down. And honestly, that's what the league wants. They they don't want to have challenges. They they want to diminish it. And that's why when they increased the goalie interference call from, from a, a timeout lost to a penalty, you saw the numbers decrease overnight dramatically. And now when you make a second call, it's, it's double that. You'll never see two goalie challenges. Can you imagine a playoffs with a four minute penalty against you for making a goalie challenge? So I I think, you know, ironically the Coyotes were just involved in one and I I watched Craig's tweets as that happened in, in I don't understand how they called that a goal in the first place. I don't get it. I never saw the puck across the line from even inside the the net cam. So they must have had a view that that the television studio didn't. I don't know how they made that call. But again, it's reversed 10 seconds later from the the pushing into the player. So um, until you bring it to a central location, it will not be a consistent call.
2: Interesting thing with a puck across the line. If they get the tracking system in the puck, you, you would be able to do that. Why don't they have that now, Craig? Like they have the post, put a tracking tracking
1: on the post, put a tracking on the puck. It's done. It's in or it's not.
0: Uh, (sighs) Big Tortilla writes in. I always got to read Big Tortilla's questions. Could you ever see Arizona hosting the NHL draft?
2: I want the all-star game first. I asked Gary Bettman this very question, and I'm only paraphrasing because it's been too long, but he basically said, are you nuts? (laughs)
0: It Would Did be you block your number.
2: Fifteen degrees there, and I said, "But Vegas is hot too, Gary." He says, "And do you have the same sort of indoor atmosphere that Vegas has, where you could literally walk four miles indoors?" Okay, so the answer is no—an emphatic no. An All-Star game someday, but a draft never. Yeah. Emphatic It's unfortunate. No
1: it's unfortunate that the Arizona fans lost the All-Star game in four or five. It's too bad. Yeah. You know the, the lockout season. That's too bad. I mean, it's been a long time, and, and the fans here deserved it, earned it. The building at the time was brand new; it was, it was the right time to do it here. And it's too bad that that window closed.
0: Uh, we got a lot of people ripping PD for his uh, for his choice to put ketchup on hot dogs. I, heard I know all these tweets, um, but the wait, wait.
1: let's say one thing on that, Luke. It's not like I sit and have hot dogs every day. Like I don't know the last time I had a hot dog. It's not like I'm a hot dog eater or a hot dog connoisseur.
0: Ketchup. Yeah, see, That's almost worse because at least if you only had hot dogs to eat, maybe you get bored and you put ketchup on one at one point. But now it's like <laughs> I only get a hot dog once a month. I want something good on it, not ketchup. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we haven't even be. asked. I, I don't want to get Craig riled up, but we haven't even asked your opinion on IPAs, but we'll get to that some other time.
1: Um, <laughs> let's see. Loyal we should tip. have an IPA show. That's what we should do. Once awesome. you get back in studio, I'm all in for that.
2: What, what would that show be? Me not drinking the IPAs and you doing that. <laughs> Yeah, me
1: too. I'm a red red ale guy.
2: Okay, we, red Irish ale. Common ground here now.
1: Red How and is. amber. And Craig, okay. that's one thing. Another thing is I, I, I have the list of things I've missed from this NHL season is the ability to to taste the local brews from around the NHL. Yeah. And I, I I would pride myself in I'm not a white tablecloth restaurant guy. That's not me. I'm you know more of a bar food kind of guy. And I would go and I'd always say, "What is your local?" beer. And I would try to do my best to, to find craft beers around North America. And someday we'll have to talk more about that.
0: That would be cool. Actually, that would be like one of my favorite things. If I was traveling with the team would be like finding the the most, the best local food and all that stuff. I'd be all over that. You
1: know what, Luke, I've talked about this in jest. We always, I'm a creature of habit. I can tell you every city in the national league where I'm going to go eat. I could tell you where I'm going to sit in the restaurant if it's available. And I can tell you what meal I'm going to order on a 10-day trip. I would map it all out. I know exactly where I'm going to go. So I can tell you in my cities, I won't say it's the best restaurant. It's the restaurant I like to go to. And then I also have as a secondary choice, what is um a place to go for bar food in that city. So someday, Luke, we'll get in deeper into all of these cities uh, on restaurant choices around the National Hockey League. Yeah, that
0: that is definitely a, We should just do an entire podcast on I, that I, once, I'm in. once the player, playoffs are over. Uh, Lil, loyal Siff, this one's for Steve Peters. Which mascot would win in a sewer fight? Gritty's obviously off the table because he'd be watching, probably doing that creepy nod Jack Nicholson did in anger management.
1: That's tough. That's tough because, you know, you, you want to go to the local Coyote, but he's too friendly, too nice, isn't he? Oh, I, yeah. know who, I don't know who even who else is out there. Go, wait, that's, that's Harvey the, second... the Hounds. Harvey the Hounds too old, so that's a no. I don't even know what the Avalanche mascot. What the hell is that thing? So I don't know. Same with the Wild. You have mm-hmm. to go look these guys up online. They're not even really mascots. I, maybe LA. You, you go to yeah, um, Bailey the Lion.
0: Uh, that thing Vegas has is pretty terrifying. I could see. Oh, the lizard,
1: the gecko in the sewer. Yeah, yeah, the gecko. That's kind of scary, actually. That, that is, a surf, surf, yeah. Look at you that's, knowing your mascots.
0: That's the, yeah. I only know like four. Um, that's the second sewer reference from from listeners this week. Unbelievable I, sewer I, fighting. I,
1: I didn't know. The yeah, first Rule I, of sewer fighting is Don't talk about sewer fighting. <laughs>
0: Apparently, I don't think we've brought it up in three years. I. This is why I love our listeners. Can I agree. Uh, that, can we all agree that Carlton the Bear would lose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. what is Montreal's mascot's name I can never uh, like Yupi or something I'm trying to remember yeah it's,
1: it's the Yeah, orange yeah fuzzy guy
0: I don't feel like I'd want to fight him <laughs> um, omniscient Yotes fan well I feel like despite based on the name alone you should already know all the answers what are some Garland comparables around the league any chance he signs for less than the Keller contract So well, he's going to have to sign for less because he's RFA
1: yeah, I mean we we've talked about this before. I, I he's clearly going to sign for for less than that. Um you know, I I talked about who did I talk about that time? Oh, Bjorkstrand out of Columbus, I thought was a comparable based on um the last two years body of work. Uh Victor Olofsson in Buffalo, both guys, you know, one uh, uh strand's just at 5.4. Um it's all of Sins at three, just over three. I think Garland's, you know, probably between four and five. The Coyotes aren't going to pay him $7 million. Uh, they just, I, I would be extremely surprised if that happens.
0: Agreed. Uh, Ooper, what would your top line and defensive pairing be if you had to put together a new team and could pick anyone currently in the NHL? The rest of the team would be filled with bottom six players. So we can put centers on wing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so McDavid, uh,
2: McDavid,
1: McKinnon. McKinnon, and Matthews—the the yeah. three M's, the M and M
2: and M line. On, on defense, I'd go Victor Hedman and Kale McCarr, who will be around wow. away, and is a right shot. So it, uh, it worked. Wow, that's like Craig sent that question in and it had his answer. I think all he ready
0: did. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even fair. Craig is booper—the ultimate revelation on this. I'm actually, uh, seven on. different. Never mind. I, I didn't <laughs> say that. Not true. Um, here, I'll, we'll wrap up with this one, okay. Adam. Adam Olshansky writes in, any fun Gretzky stories that you are able to share from back when he was coach owner? Of the suit one was really good.
1: The Gretzky story. <laughs> you know, I, I, there is one and it's kind of I, I, all of the people that travel with the team at this time, Craig, I'm not sure you traveled with the team. First of all, Wayne Gretzky is not a great flyer. Um, he's as scared as anybody I've seen. And there's a few players over time that didn't like to fly. Anti Ranta is another guy that doesn't love to fly. Um, so G- Wayne would get really tense on flights, but I remember one flight and a lot of times his family was in LA and he had his house here in, in Arizona. So a lot of times family would come back and forth, especially when we were going to LA or coming home from LA where the family would hitch a ride, um, and I remember one flight that we were coming f- uh, from Phoenix to LA and I'm, I'm on my seat in the plane and I sat next to Grant Fear at the time and down the middle of the aisle, I saw this white blur and i it scared the heck out of me before we took off. I go and look down the aisle and there's a poodle running up and down the aisle of the plane. Well, Wayne's family, instead of, you know, driving or hitching a ride, they they jumped on the coyote plane and brought their dog with them. And the dog for the remainder of the flight, free reign, like back with the players, I saw our trainers holding and petting the dog. And that is the first time. And I will say first, because it has happened since that is the first time I saw a dog on the. Arizona Coyotes playing. And I know that's not a real specific Wayne Gretzky story. Um, I will think and have better Gretzky stories for the future. I will say this. He is an unbelievable person and everything you hear about him is true. And the way he sees a hockey game and the game played is different than anyone I've ever been involved with in all of my time in the National Hockey League. He could be walking through with a cup of coffee, look at the screen and go, oh, why didn't he pass it to that guy? And he keep walking. And you're going, what? I didn't even see that guy. How does he see? And not even as part of the conversation, he would recognize things within the game. It was unbelievable how he viewed the game. And I think, you know what, frustrated him because I don't think the players could see the game the same way. And it's hard to teach and coach when you see the game so differently from the players you're trying to teach.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. I think I think we're going to wrap it there. I know we didn't get to every question. I apologize if you have a question that you uh that you really like feel free to resend it next week and uh and I, we got the most of them. PD, anything you want to say about the Minnesota Twins before we wrap up? Wow, uh, what has gone team? on with my
1: Twins? I don't know if the Coyotes brought them bad luck. They haven't won a game since the Coyotes were in town. They went from first to last in the Central. It's a little early, I guess. A little early to concern. I think we got 150 yet to play. So, I'm a little, con- you know, <laughs> don't, don't worry yet.
0: Craig, Cubs, any thoughts on the Cubs before we wrap this up? I don't want to talk about the Cubs. I don't want to talk about Chicago <laughs> baseball for a long time. Like, all right, we'll just this century, so I'm good. You know what we'll Luke, do is we'll, we'll talk about we, the Bears' starting quarterback. Sorry, Katie, what's up?
1: Before we leave, I haven't looked at the artwork yet. Did I officially make it into the artwork yet, or is it still TBD? No,
0: but that's, that'll probably happen at, right at the end of the regular season, and I actually have a concept now for the uh, the logo. So, okay. It's, it, Progress is slow, but I think you'll you'll like it. I'll
1: get my agent involved, and we'll see if that helps.
0: Dude, that'll that'll speed it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for us. For Greg Morgan, for Steve Peters, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hat Trick podcast.